Welcome to episode 10 of the Discovering the Male Mysteries podcast. I'm your host, Mel Mystery. This is the Beltane 2014 episode. Before I introduce today's topics, I'd like to take a moment to share some exciting news. I've agreed to be a featured speaker at this year's Kof Nia, a mystical gathering for gay and bisexual men. This year's event will take place the week of August 6th to 10th at Four Quarters Interfaith Sanctuary in Artemis, Pennsylvania. Other featured guests include Steve Kinson and Gaffer That Harp Guy. Kinson is a founder of the Temple of Witchcraft with his partners Christopher Pinkzak and Adam Sardwell. Gaffer is a talented mystical guest who plays the harp. This will be my first formal speaking engagement, so if you attend, I hope you'll go easy on me. I'll be presenting a triad of workshops on gay and bi men's rites of passage. I hope some of my fans can make it. You can find out more about the event and register by going online to www.kofnia.org. That's www.kophnia.org. To attend, you must pre-register by June 30th. In previous episodes, I mentioned some ebooks I'm in the process of writing. They're taking me a bit longer to write than I originally thought, but I keep finding interesting material to research on the topics, and sometimes finding the GLBT associations means following all sorts of obscure traces and threads. I'm still hoping the Gay Werewolf book will be completed sometime this summer. It's a greatly expanded exploration of the topics I covered in my Gay Werewolf podcast last fall. I'm also working on a book related to gay and bi men's rites of passage. That's going to take even longer and likely will be at least another year in coming. Despite the delay, I think the finished products for both will be thorough and will feature topics that aren't really out there right now, at least not all in one organized writing. I've also recently gotten a Mel Mystery Facebook page and have been posting occasional articles to my blog. You can connect to both through my main webpage at www.melmystery.matrixworks.com. That's www. Dot M-E-L-M-Y-S-T-E-R-Y dot M-A-T-R-I-X-W-E-R-X dot com. Now on to today's 
topics. Today's show is all about phallicism. I'll be talking about phallicism and phallic gods in many cultures. I'll be talking about unicorns and their phallic symbolism. And I'll be considering the question of whether Austin Powers from the movies might be considered a modern phallic god. There will also be a song or two, so sit back and enjoy, and happy Beltane. Many gay and bisexual men, dissatisfied with modern religions that struggle to accept and condone us, are hearing the call of the old gods, those gods and religions of antiquity that embraced us and recognized our inherent spirituality. While modern religions debate our worth as lovers, as priests, as sexual beings, the old gods and the old religions embraced us as sacred. We were their shamans, their priests, the intermediaries between the gods and mankind. Many of the gods themselves were homosexual, bisexual, or transgendered. These gods were untamed, vibrant, and sexual. Accept their call and their healing embrace. These are the Male Mysteries, and I'm your host, Male Mystery. Oh, groovy, baby. Yeah. <laughs> the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines phallicism as the worship of the generative principle as symbolized by the phallus, whereas the phallus is an image or representation of the penis. Many cultures throughout the world in the past and even today venerated the penis as a sacred symbol, and many male fertility gods are phallic in nature. Phallic energy can be generative. In gay and bisexual men in male-male relationships, this generative energy can take on the form of creative, magical, and spiritual conception rather than procreation, a sentiment theorized by the Greek philosopher Plato as well as the early 20th century occultist Alastair Crowley. Even heterosexual men can harness this energy, which is one of the underlying premises of sex magic. Masculine energy can also be transferred to others through the transfer of semen, usually through anal or oral sex. This was one of the tenets of ancient Greek student-teacher relationships. The arete, the masculine virtue of the older man, was believed to transfer from the older teacher to the younger student. Similar beliefs are found in puberty, initiation rites, and other cultures, including those in Melanesia. Phallicism is not limited to the erotic and sexual. It is primal masculinity, which can also be fierce and aggressive. The phallus is a concentration of male energy and power. Horns also fit this criteria since only male animals have horns. That is why phallic gods are often represented with both an erect penis and horns in many cultures. It also gives rise to the term horny. In ancient Greece, we see such horned phallic gods as Pan, Apollo Carneus, and Dionysus, as well as phallic gods without horns such as Priapus and Hermes. Pan is a Greek god of nature, shepherds, flocks, and music. He was a satyr with the legs and horns of a goat. He is famous for his sexual powers and is often depicted with an erect phallus. Pan didn't limit himself to heterosexuality, homosexuality, bisexuality, or even just humans. He was pansexual in every sense of the word. Apollo Carneus was an early Greek Dorian horned version of Apollo. Men would have sex with youth at his temple to transfer the arete from the older man to the younger. This was considered a solemn and highly spiritual rite and was done with the consent of the youth's father. Dionysus is the Greek god of vegetation and wine who is often depicted with bullhorns. 
Dionysus was both phallic and effeminate, though he was never shown with an erection. He is associated with fertility, and his phallic symbol is the thyrsus, a fennel stalk topped by a pine cone and wrapped in ivy. Phallic processions were part of his celebrations. Hermes was the Greek messenger god and god of transitions, boundaries, communication, and commerce. He also presided over homosexual relations along with Eros and Heracles. Originally, Hermes was a phallic god associated with fertility and good fortune. Herms or Herma began as phallic piles of stone and later they were squared pillars with a sculpted head and phallus. These were placed at crossings and boundaries and in front of homes and other buildings. Passerbys would show religious respect to Hermes by adding another stone to the pile or by anointing his phallus with oil. Sometimes these statues were adorned with garlands and wreaths. Priapus was a minor fertility god, protector of livestock and fruit plants, gardens, and the male phallus. He is depicted with an oversized permanent erection, while at the same time he is perpetually impotent because of a curse imposed by the goddess Hera. Among urban populations he was considered a joke, but in the rural areas he was considered a guardian who could be invoked for luck, health, and fertility. His presence was believed to avert the evil eye. Celtic horned phallic gods include Herne the Hunter and Cernonos. Cernonos is a horned god frequently depicted with stag antlers and seated cross-legged in a shamanic position. He is connected with male animals, particularly the stag, and is associated with fertility and vegetation, the hunt, and the underworld. He is occasionally depicted with an erect phallus. Frequently he holds a ram-headed snake, which sometimes substitutes for his phallus. Herne the Hunter is very similar to Cernonos and may be a different aspect of him. In Egypt, we have the phallic god Osiris, who is most often associated as the god of death, the afterlife, and rebirth. He is also associated with the annual flooding of the Nile. In an earlier myth, he was also a phallic god and the father of Horus. In this myth, he was killed by his brother Set, who wanted his throne. Set killed him and cut him into pieces. The goddess Isis collected and rejoined the fragmented pieces but his phallus was missing. Isis shaped a phallus of gold for him and brought him back to life just long enough for them to have sex and for her to conceive Horus. One aspect of Osiris associated with his soul is depicted as a ram god and is associated with a type of pillar called the Dejed. The Egyptian god Men was a god of fertility, rain, and male potency. Men is often represented as a man with an erect penis, which he holds in his left hand. In his right hand, he carries a flail or whip, which may have symbolized his authority and or was used in harvesting grain. He was honored during the coronation of new pharaohs who were expected to demonstrate their ability to ejaculate and thus ensure the annual flooding of the Nile. Festivals in men's honor involve games played naked and the climbing of a huge pole. Men is associated with white bulls and a type of Egyptian lettuce that secreted a milky substance symbolic of semen when pressed. Among the Norse we have Freyr, who was a god of virility, prosperity, and good weather. He is often depicted as a phallic fertility god, and he is sometimes depicted with horns or a horned helmet. Freyr is not known to have had any homosexual encounters, but he was served by gay or transgendered priests. These male priests, dressed in feminine attire, employed effeminate gestures, behaved rather wantonly, and used bells. They also appear to have participated in a heros gamos, or a symbolic coupling, which may have involved homosexual acts, in order to ensure a fruitful and fertile growing season. The phalluses of reindeer and other animals were sacrificed to Freyr. Witches in the Middle Ages met in covens and worshipped a horned phallic god. Christians turned pagan horned phallic gods into their image of the devil.
In Hinduism, Lord Shiva the Destroyer and most powerful god in the Hindu pantheon is often represented as the phallic symbol of Linga in his temples. Linga is a symbol of energy and the potentiality of the god. Libations of water and milk are poured over the Linga as part of his worship. Some incarnations of Shiva have horns, notably a version represented on the Pashupati seal where Shiva sits in the lotus position surrounded by other horned animals. Besides horns, other phallic symbols include the sword, lance, arrow, spear, plow, ship, obelisks, pillars, standing stones, snakes and serpents, mushrooms, trees, and others. These weren't all sexual. Some represented power, fighting prowess, and other masculine attributes. Modern phallic symbols include guns, missiles, big trucks, and cars with big engines. With Beltane just recently passed, I might also mention maypoles. Representations of the phallus are often used to guard and protect places and things. The Greek herms guarded crossroads, boundaries, buildings, and homes. In Rome, statues of Priapus were placed in orchards to frighten away birds and thieves. His huge erection was painted red. Egyptian obelisks are obvious phallic symbols and associated with the worship of the sun god Ra. They represent both fertility and power. In Babylonia, the obelisk was considered the phallus of the masculine earth. Norse Bauta stones were phallic-shaped stones that marked and guarded graves in sacred spots. There is evidence that votive offerings were left at these stones. Other such standing stones, known as menhir, are found across Europe and even in Africa, South America, and India. In some places they appear in circular, oval, or horseshoe-shaped groups, the most famous being Stonehenge. Phallic amulets are popular in many cultures. In ancient Roman times, phallic amulets, called fascinus, are used to ward off the evil eye, to remedy envy, and in spells to invoke divine protection. Another Roman charm representing the fist and phallus was used by soldiers for good luck. The winged phallus was also popular in ancient Greek and Roman cultures. Phallic amulets are used for luck, protection, and fertility in other cultures such as that in Thailand. Unlike humans, some mammals have a penis bone called the baculum. In hoodoo folk magic, the penis bone of the raccoon is used in love magic and for luck in gambling. The Romans, as well as Turkish and Slavic cultures, used a hand sign called the fig sign, the fika, or the manofika. This phallic sign is made by pushing the thumb through the second and third fingers. It is believed to ward off evil spirits, to protect against the evil eye, and to bring good luck. Now, Mr. Evil. Dr. Evil, I didn't spend six years in evil medical school to be called Mr. Thank you very much. Say your prayers, work your rights, burn your little candles day and night. You can shimmy till dawn to the pounding drums, but you best be ready when the horn one comes, yeah. <laughs> if you wake to the sound of a hunting horn, Dance a ring in the gathering storm If the solstice time gets your panties in a while It's just the coming of the horn god He will call you out Make you sweat Give 
you a blessing that you'll never forget So revel in the chase and let your heart beat run Blessed are the children of the horned one Blessed are the children of the horned one hey, hey. Hunter who tracks outside of time Guardian lord of ancient rhyme Brother stag in the musky glen God sword of the goddess in the woodland den We call you forth that we make our way Walking in your power every day Guide us through in our hunt this night Maybe even later in the great right He will call you out Give you a blessing that you'll never forget So revel in the chase and let your heart beat run Blessed are the children of the horned one Blessed are the children of the horned one Beat to the sound of a Children of the old one, blessed are the children of the old one, blessed are the children of the old one. Do I make you horny? Unicorns weren't always the serene, graceful, pure white creatures we're used to seeing associated with ponies, little girls, and rainbows. While unicorns were not found in Greek mythology, they were written about by ancient Greek and Roman writers in accounts of natural history as they were believed to be real-life animals located in a far-off realm, possibly India. Pliny the Elder describes the unicorn as a very ferocious beast, similar in the rest of its body to a horse, with the head of a deer, the feet of an elephant, the tail of a boar, a deep bellowing voice, and a single black horn, two cubits in length, standing out in the middle of its forehead. The Greek writer Theseus describes them as white, red, and black wild Indian asses with a horn a cubit and a half long. Strabo writes about one-horned horses with stag-like heads. Aristotle, Pliny the Elder, and others also mention other one-horned beasts including a type of antelope and an Indian ox, which might have been a rhinoceros. The Greeks believed that drinking through a unicorn horn protected against poison and disease. In the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, the unicorn was depicted on different occasions as a wild ass, a goat, or a horse. It was a wild creature, but also a symbol of grace and purity. It gained greater symbolism within Christianity and is believed by some to be an animal called the Re'im, which was mentioned in the Old Testament. 
Often the unicorn could be captured or tamed by a virgin or maiden. In one story, the unicorn lays its head on the maiden's lap and falls asleep. The maiden is symbolic of the Virgin Mary, and the scene is a metaphor for the divine incarnation or insemination which led to the birth of Christ. Others have interpreted the life and death of the unicorn as a metaphor for the life and death of Christ. For these reasons, the unicorn appeared in religious art of the time, including the famous unicorn tapestries that show rich noblemen, huntsmen, and hounds pursuing a unicorn and capturing it with the help of a maiden. The unicorn also features in the heraldry of the time. Leonardo da Vinci wrote about the power of maidens to trap unicorns, saying that they forget their ferocity, wildness, and fear in the presence of fair maidens. The horn of the unicorn, made of a substance known as alicorn, is said to have magical and healing properties, and notably all this power is said to reside in the horn. The horn was said to have the power to purify poisoned water and to heal sickness. It was used as an antidote for many poisons including scorpion and snake venom, and to help with sickness including rubella, measles, fevers, pains, leprosy, and the plague. The horn was also used as an aphrodisiac. The horn of the narwhal, a one-horned species of whale, as well as the powdered horns of other animals was sometimes sold as unicorn horn to detect poisons and to make cures. Alicorn was used in medieval alchemy and medicine. The unicorns of antiquity were decidedly masculine with feminine qualities. They symbolized a creative and free masculine spirit. They were strong and wild, comparable to lions, eagles, and dragons. Their large and powerful horns were vital and phallic. They could also be gentle and graceful. Modern conceptions of unicorns are largely feminine. Unicorns are marketed to girls through such franchises as My Little Pony and can also be seen on stickers and cards with rainbows and stars and glitter. These unicorns are much smaller with feminine qualities and long flowing manes that overshadow their horns which are small and limp. At its best the unicorn combines dual and often opposite symbolism and the unicorn is a union of both masculine and feminine qualities. It is both pure and virile, its purity represented by its white color and its virility by its phallic horn. The unicorn is fierce and wild and free, but also easily tamed by the pure and virginal. It cannot be tamed by force, but by gentleness. The unicorn is an object of desire, but it is also elusive. It is associated with virginity and chastity, but it wields a powerful phallic horn. Its horn can be a weapon, but it can also heal. The unicorn can be powerful, but also submissive. The combination of both masculine and feminine qualities makes a unicorn a powerful archetypal symbol for gay and bisexual men who may be more comfortable with their feminine side than straight men. That said, I would argue that many of us need to balance this out by cultivating our masculine qualities. It is this union of opposites that gives the unicorn, much like ourselves, its magic and powers. As a side note, unicorn is also used as a slang term in polyamorous and swinger culture. Usually it refers to a bisexual female who is willing to join an existing male-female couple to form an exclusive triad and to become sexually involved with both members of the couple, deferring her needs to that of the couple. But it can similarly apply to a male who is willing to exclusively join an existing male-female couple. The idea being that hunting for such a person to the triad is like hunting for a unicorn. Austin Powers always defeats me because he has mojo. Mojo? Mojo. When I was writing this episode, I thought a lot about what music to start the show off with. Absolutely none of the unicorn songs I found online seemed to cut it. 
At one point I passed by an Austin Powers DVD that I have, and I thought that Austin Powers theme would be just perfect for the show. It got me to thinking about all the phallicism and phallic innuendo in the Austin Powers movies, and more importantly whether Austin Powers fits the archetype as a representation of a modern phallic god. I think he does. The phallic symbolism in the Austin Powers movies includes everything from chess pieces to large drills to rockets. Many of these items are even described in phallic terms and slang like Johnson, Wang, Wiener, Tallywhacker, and so forth. In other cases, the phallic symbolism is inferred, such as when Ivana Humphalot caresses the chess piece with her mouth. We never see Austin Powers' phallus, but this too is inferred in such scenes as the opening credits to the second movie, where Austin wanders around the hotel naked with various items both hiding and hinting at his phallic region. Austin Powers himself fits certain criteria similar to that of archetypal phallic gods. He has a sizable libido, and he is free and uninhibited in his sexuality. He's hairy like a wild animal, a sure sign of his masculinity and his kinship with such wild and hairy gods as Pan. He proudly wears his male symbol in the form of a necklace. Austin even has a magical and irresistible mojo that drives women, fembots, and even a couple of men wild. His last name Powers invokes something mystical, masculine, and virile. He aspires to 60s style swinging which involves uninhibited sex with multiple partners. While he isn't horned, his catchphrase is, do I make you horny? which brings up subtle associations with ancient horned gods. Despite his intense libido, he obviously cares about and bonds with his sexual partners. It's not just about sex, but about romance. He genuinely cares about his partners, all the while not taking himself too seriously. I can imagine ancient phallic gods being similar in these respects. Sometimes it's hard to put a personality to ancient gods because of their remoteness in time and place but I can imagine them not so much being about sexual conquest, but about sincere bonding, even if they do bond with lots of partners. I'm divided on whether Austin's pledge of monogamy and marriage to Vanessa at the end of the first movie is a testament to his caring and affection for her, or whether it's a betrayal of his own nature in an attempt to fit in with the times. Either way, Austin happily returns to his old ways in the second movie after Vanessa is exposed as a fembot. Later in the movie, he is reunited with the metaphorical goddess in the form of Felicity Shagwell. Felicity could be considered symbolic of a fertility goddess, and Austin's equal in most every way. She provides a feminine balance to his masculinity. Though both aspire to the swinger lifestyle, they also both seem a bit jealous of each other's conquest, a theme that plays out in the stories of many ancient divine couples. In much the same way that the elves of myth diminished in size and stature from human size to the size of fairies, and just as the Greek Eros was diminished from a handsome young adult to the Roman Cupid who was a chubby baby, I believe the phallic god archetype is diminished in Austin Powers. At the very least, he needs a penis pump, implying his phallus isn't as big as he liked, and definitely not as large as the phallic gods of the past, who didn't need such devices to maintain a huge uh, demeanor. <laughs> Just as mere mortals are afraid of the supernatural magic of the elves, or the power and sometimes madness of love, they also fear primal and uninhibited sexuality, so the phallic god of today comes up a little short. I shall call him Mini-Me.
Thanks for listening to the Discovering the Male Mysteries podcast. I'm your host, Mel Mystery. You can find out more about the show, including links to my blog and store site at http colon backslash backslash m-e-l-m-y-s-t-e-r-y dot m-a-t-r-i-x w-e-r-x dot com. That's http colon backslash backslash melmystery dot matrixworks dot com. If you would like to submit original poetry or music, suggest a topic, guest host a segment, or share information relevant to listeners, you can find more information on how to do so, including my email address on the Mail Mysteries website. Thanks for listening. Colonel, you better take a look at this radar. What is it, son? I don't know, sir. But it looks like a giant dick. Yeah. Take a look out of starboard. Oh, my God. It looks like a huge... Pecker! Oh, where? Wait. That's not a woodpecker. It looks like someone's... Privates! We have reports of an unidentified flying object. It is a long, smooth shaft, complete with two balls. What is that? That looks just like an enormous... Wang, pay attention. I was distracted by that enormous flying... Willie. Yeah. What's that? Well, it looks like a giant... Johnson. Yes, sir. Get on the horn to British intelligence and let them know about this.